I mean, that the first year we did it, our sales went up 100% each month, at least 100%. And it, it was really funny because we were looking back at our sales from like, because November is notoriously a slower month. And so after we started using the mailers and we, we, we were looking at our November sales and we compared it to the previous year and it was 140% better than the previous November. And I looked at my client, I'm like, Michael, were we sad? Were we sad that year, that November? And he goes, Meredith, I was suicidal. He goes, you don't understand the stress. And it's just, and, and to this day, we use every single week. When you have a family of six to support, you do what you have to do to provide for them. Today we speak with the husband and wife owners of Garbanzo's Pizza, here in Meridian, Michael and Meredith Marlin. Their story is one that shows that with determination, you are not limited to the industry you are currently in. Michael changes from a career in construction and remodeling to an entirely different industry, pizza. The Founders Podcast. Listen to the stories of how everyday extraordinary people start amazing businesses. Hear how they overcome the odds and find success in the entrepreneurial world. The up and down, the good and the bad, and everything in between. And now, your hosts, Jordan Hansen and Brandon Minard. Hello and welcome everyone to the Founders Podcast. This is Jordan Hansen. Hello. And I'm here with my co-host Brandon Miner. Brandon, hi. Hey. How you doing? In studio. We are in studio today. Brandon and I, we have the great pleasure to have in with us Michael and Meredith Marlin. Hello. 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 I've known both of them for as long as I've been alive. Um, Meredith is my sister and Michael is uh, her husband and we're really grateful and excited to have them on today. Um, we're in studio, like I said, we have three mics and so Brandon and I are sharing over here, you know, we're kind of cute together, really close to our mic, you know, good friends. Um, but anyway, they're the owners of Garbanzo's Pizza. If you live in the Meridian area, you probably have heard of it and possibly had it. I love that pizza. It's really yummy. We're really glad to have you guys in here. So just for a quick moment, normally my introduction is, can you explain what your business is as if you're explaining to my mother? Now, it probably shouldn't be that difficult, but let's hear it. Well, we're uh, a traditional pizza company. The basic uh, handmade fresh, fresh product with hand-tossed crust and homemade, homemade toppings, homemade sauce. And you say traditional. What's the difference? What's a non-traditional pizza company? Um, the non-traditional is... Or this area would be uh, a true Chicago style or a uh, super thin crust or something in the way of the uh, non-traditional toppings. I see. Like flatbread, would that count as a non-traditional? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Great. Awesome. We're really glad to have you on. So I have some familiarity with Garbanzo. So way back when... There was a Garbanzo's, I believe, in Eagle off of State Street. And I don't know if you guys were a part of that location or not, but some of my favorite memories 
my dad had just opened up his first little practice right next door. And so we'd go over there and we'd rent a movie from Frontline Video and a video game and then grab a pizza. And that was like the best Friday night <laughs> activity like, ever. So Garbanzo's, you know, near and dear to my heart, definitely. So that's kind of exciting. So just to get started, you guys are both from the Valley. Is that right? I am definitely. Oh. I grew I grew up in Eagle and married Michael, who is from Alaska, and brought him down. And he's been here for 35 years. Gotcha. We met in college, and I followed her home. <laughs> so college. So, well, I guess back up a little bit. So I know more about Meredith, your family. You know, Jordan is your brother. Um, and there's quite an age difference between you guys. And then, Michael, I don't know too much about your background and your family. Why don't you guys talk about, um, I guess you grew up in Alaska, Michael. Uh, talk about just sort of your upbringing and what your family did and, and where you were at in Alaska. And I went, I, we moved to Alaska when I was about eight years old. Uh, my father had always wanted to go to Alaska, move to Alaska. And so he went up, we followed, and I grew up there through all of my school. Um, it's uh, a good deal different than living here in the South Country. Uh, it had we had a lot of um, a lot of different opportunities to try things that you don't really do here. Um, when I was young, I was the youngest uh, volunteer firefighter that they had ever had. Um, Wait, how, on, how young? You say I was like 17. Eight? 17, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> not, not, yeah, I was, I just, I had just turned 17. Um, worked on commercial fishing boats, was trained by a couple of shipwrights working on, physically working on boats, doing carpentry on boats, which is totally different than something you do here in the valley. Which part of Alaska did you grow up in? I grew up outside of Juneau. Okay, so that, I guess, south, southeast. Southeastern Alaska. Yeah. And the great thing about Juneau is you cannot drive there. Well, you, can, you, could, you cannot get there by car. Uh, you have to take a boat or a plane. Um, the I, road ends 40 miles from town, period. You can drive out 40 miles, and there's a big sign that says, the end. Right. I remember that. We, I, we went on some trip there, cruise, I think, anyway, with our parents and i remember getting driven around there and seeing the inn i thought that was really cool like this is literally an isolated place you cannot get here except by plane or boat which is really right. cool uh, a lot of people think it's an island it's actually on the mainland but you might as well be on an island and so what did your parents do in alaska what did your dad do what did your mom when i was young one of the first jobs i had was i worked at the daycare center my parents owned and they they were they were always doing something in a business. Um, we had one of the first uh, large daycare centers in Alaska, and and I was a kid, you know, I was nine, ten, and I worked there, you know, washing dishes for the the cafeteria part and basic stuff like that. Um, from there, we had a, a health food store um, at the local mall, what you could call a mall. Uh, had a health food store. We did a lot of things like that. 
in my in my dad's retirement, he drove tour bus. Uh, just just your basic normal things, I I guess. <laughs> but I mean, you say basic normal. Uh, it sounds like they always owned their own business. Is that, or at least we, in your memory, um, we we always were doing something like that. Yes. So, do you feel like that's you've been self-employed for twenty years? How long? Uh, well, my first actual business license that I that I applied for in Juno, I was sixteen years old, and I had Michael's handyman service. And and uh, I was 16. So do you feel like this has been influenced by your parents? Absolutely. So your Absolutely. parents were always doing their own thing, and so for you, you were like, yeah, this is just, of course, I will do my own thing. That, yeah, that's, that was the life that I always had. That was, um, I saw some of the family do nine-to-five jobs. My, I had a brother-in-law that worked for the state in the government, and, and it was a nine-to-five, but... My other relatives, the rest of my family, um, were commercial fishermen, which is a, you know, self-employment. Uh, you had I had firemen in the family. I had things that were not nine to fives. Now you guys go back to Alaska pretty often now to visit yeah. your family there. Absolutely. Like, how often? I mean, a couple, like six, eight times a year, probably at least. Oh, well, probably well, four or five times a, a year. A few times. Yeah. Now. Um, so you guys obviously enjoy it. Pretty, it's really pretty up there. Do you think you'd go there if, um, um, do you think if Meredith, let's say we had no family here, would you live potentially in Alaska? No way. No. What about you, Michael? <laughs> I'm on my way. My bags are packed. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Okay. No, it, I, Juno gets 50 days of sunshine a year. The rest of the time, it's rainy, cloudy, snowy, something, and I need more sun than that. And in the wintertime, you know, it gets gets light about 10 o'clock in the morning and gets dark at 2. It's just not enough sun for me. I would not thrive there. I when I When In the dead of winter, I would get on the school bus in the dark and get off the school bus in the dark. That's no way to live. And, but, on the other hand... We're right here coming up on summer solstice, and it doesn't get fully dark. Yeah, that's really interesting to have that, so, that contrast. So you, you, make, you, make your, you make hay when the sun shines. I would, at this point in my life, I would say I would live there in the summers. I would move there in the summers without question. Yes, but last year we went in in August, and Michael's niece came, and she goes, "It has rained for seventy two days straight in the summer. Seventy two days straight. It's no way to live." You know, the reason that <laughs> the reason that that Christianity had a hard time catching on in in Southeast Alaska, the missionaries would go and talk about forty days of rain for Noah. And, the, and the, the natives would laugh and say, yeah, we're at 75. <laughs> now, go ahead. Yeah, so I guess I'm, I'm curious about when you were growing up, did you have an idea of what you wanted to do? Did you want to stay in Alaska and do blue-collar type jobs and lumber or fishing? Or did you have, did your dad say, hey, Michael, you know, follow me, kind of do this thing. Let's go into this line of business. Or what were your plans? 
plans. Um, I when I was in 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 school in high school, I thought that I was going to be in Juno, doing something in the fishing or maritime industry. That's what I thought I would be doing. Um, then I decided to go off to college, and that changed everything. But but I never thought that I would have a, a nine to five. It, it never, it never actually attracted me at all. I, I've had a, an aversion to, to neckties my entire life. <laughs> Is it because you don't like being told what to do? Oh, it could be that. <laughs> could be that. I, um, he doesn't I, sit still well. He likes, he does much better if he's moving around and, and doing things and, 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 Carpentry is, is, I mean, it's his love. He does, he does a great job at it, and he's done that for many, many years, many, many years. So you moved, uh, you went to college at, I think, BYU, right? And that's BYU, where you then went to BSU. You went to BSU, and you met Merritt at um, BYU. Yes. Now, was it a hard sell to not, I mean, you guys met, uh, decided at some point to get married. How old was I? What year was this? 1987. You were three. I was three, so I don't remember the. I don't remember very well. But you met, uh, decided to get married. Now, was it a hard sell to say, "Oh, wait, I'm not going back to Juno for you, Michael," or is that it was no big deal? That that has been. It's like a toothache way in the back, always aching to go back to Alaska. I see. So not the easiest sell, but you guys made eh, the decision. She's worth it. She's worth it. Okay. Good, good thing I like her. <laughs> And you guys made the decision to move here to, to Boise. Now, I know you haven't been doing... I remember at some point you had a 9-to-5 job. What went into that decision? Um, the market had, at that point, had kind of came apart a little bit. And, and I got approached by one of the companies that I had been doing work for as a subcontractor. And they said, come in and sell for us. And so I did. And I should clarify, we should step back. Um, what was your, I mean, going through college, how were you, how were you providing for yourself um, and your family? Uh, contracting. Contracting, being like, and that being carpentry, like yeah. finished work or more like um, remodeling, framing, a lot remodeling. Of remodeling. Lots of remodeling. Okay. He's a master remodeler. He can, he can, because you get into remodeling and you come in, up into problems that you didn't know were going to be behind that wall and he can fix that every time. Now that I mean that's young. You're in college, so yeah. pretty young. But it wasn't wasn't difficult to find work. I mean, what, this is probably you said eighty seven. So it was like eighty seven, ninety that right. time frame. What, it wasn't difficult to find work. I mean, new to the valley, didn't know, didn't have contacts. How did you find work jobs? Um, I, I've always had, and it just seems to be that when somebody finds out that I have time. To do stuff, I've always had people call and say, can you come and do it? When he first started, when we first moved here, he, he worked for Thriftway, Thriftway for Lumber. And like people would come in and say, well, do you know anybody that can install cabinets or do you know anybody that can do that? And so that's how he started that. And then it just becomes a word of mouth kind of thing. And so he was always busy. What did you end up studying in college? Business and... Business and psychology. 
Business and psychology at yeah. BSU and BYU. Yeah. And then no plans to, you know, when you graduated to do anything specific with those or just kind of get into they're, the labor market? They're, they're too general to do anything with, really. You know, you get a degree in psychology unless you go on and get a master's in, in, or doctorate. You aren't going to get a, a real psychology job. It was just because that was just because it was something that interested me. The business or the psychology? The, the psychology business was, at, at the time, it's not like now where you have such focused um, business degrees. It was general business. Mm-hmm. And Meredith, what were you studying at the time? Nursing. Nursing, gotcha. Did you guys both finish your, your degrees? No. We, um, we let life get, a, get, ahead, get ahead of us. Kids and family and for as for all for going for all those years and being so few credits short, I've kind of regretted it my whole life. I'm only a couple of you know a good semester and a half away from graduation and and just never did it. Me as well. I regret not finishing for sure. How long were you guys in school for? Was it over a long period of time or was it? You know, three or five years? Two years for me. Yeah. Yeah, we, we ended up, I ended up with in and out about four and a half years. Yeah. Just not, just not finishing it. Yeah. And so you guys are in school, you get married, um, you have plans, you know, kids come along and bills start piling up and different things happen and you're out in the labor market and did you have any sense of direction? And it sounds like, Michael, you're very handy with, you know, carpentry and different um, labor skills. You know, what was your mindset throughout that time to say, okay, I want to work for uh, a company doing this. I want to start my own business doing this. I mean, where were you at at that point, graduating college with kids? <laughs> um, that That's a fairly... Uh, Broad question, really, because you ask, what was the thought? That was never a, a, a real key factor in my thinking. Um, I, we've always had more of a, what's the adventure bring us at, attitude, um, at the end of at the end of your life, at the end of end of your time here, all you have left are your stories. The stories you have are all you have left, and when and when you get to that point, you have to say, you know, what have I done? Well, I have all of these stories. Well, the only way to have a story is to have an adventure. It's, it's Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. And, and so to have, you know, to have a good story of any kind, you have to do something. Um, uh, am I... How do you describe this? Um, you, you, you make choices, but many times 
they don't work out how you expect anyway. And you say, well, I'm going to go to work for, you know, Alexander, you know, Clark or whatever, you know, some printing company. Well, it doesn't work out. Or you're going to go to work in this accounting firm. Well, that's not always the way life gives you your opportunities. But the adventure is, is, the, is the story. And so we've always been able to say, what's our adventure? What, we're ready for a new adventure. Our first house, um, to give you an example, our first house in Star, we bought it and it was a burnout. And, and you could see out the end of this roof you know, you see out the end of the roof to the stars. Wait, what year was this when you bought this house? 89? 89. 89. Five years. I was five years old. Yeah. I, rem- I remember. Yeah. I remember going through the house, and it's just like you it's said. totally burned totally out. Totally burned out. And I remember you just having these dreams of how it was going to be, what it was going to turn out to be. Mm-hmm. And, like. Well, it not even just dreams. It was, a, I, I have the ability in my mind to see what something can be at the end yeah and that's i just you guys lived there for from then on yeah you recently moved about what a year ago um january so raised four kids in that home Mm -hmm. it was a great home for you guys forever right there in that place and it just amazing difference obviously between the burnt out where you could see the you know you You could could see see the stars there was a hole in the roof because of the burnout yeah and what you did there that was really amazing so so that's part of the story that's an adventure are you and that's what we're doing now. We, we bought this place, and it was in rough shape, and we've done tons of work out there, and we'll continue to. But the question isn't, is this what we want to do? Is we ask each other, are you ready for another adventure? So, Michael, I know you're adventurous. Meredith, are you, are you always adventurous as well? I'm definitely more um, reserved, I, and, and I, I, um, it's harder for me honestly, but I trust him. You know, he, like this burnt out house, he, it took him a while to show it to me because he knew I was not going to be very excited. And honestly, when I went in there, it was terrifying to me because I am a person that needs a picture. I need, I need to see it. And I, I have a hard time envisioning things, but I, I trusted that. I mean, because I've seen his work before, and so I trusted that he would fix it the way, you know, fix it up for me. And I'm definitely more, he has to, he has to convince me of things. But I feel like, I feel like I get on board. It just takes me a minute. It takes a little bit to get there. <laughs> yeah. Which, which is really good because it does put a little bit of restraint on, on, my, on, my, on me, keeping me in check. So, like... My wife, Kirsten, and I, we have a discussion, a thought process between, like, dreamers and not dreamers, right? Right. And we're, like, some people, like Kirsten, I think is more of a dreamer and has these plans of what they are. And I, I unfortunately, I feel like lame because I'm more of the practical one. It feels like you're the damper, but maybe it's a good mix sometimes. You have, if you're both dreamers, it can cause really a lot of problems. (laughs) Or if you're not willing to ever take a risk, that's a problem, too. Right. You feel like, I feel like, Brandon, you're one of the dreamers. But in your relationship with Mallory, are you more of the dreamer or more of the... Practical. Yeah, no, definitely a dreamer. <laughs> yeah, definitely a dreamer. In fact, she's talked me out of many ideas and waited me out out of many ideas <laughs> just by time. Uh, but I think adventure, that's a good way of, of putting it. Certainly, you know, having an adventure 
you know, I'm, I'm curious how, what led you guys to uh, go into, you know, or what the genesis was of the Garbanzo's Pizza um, adventure that you guys had, because you may be going on however many years of owning it, 20 some years, 20 plus oh, years. No, no, we opened we're, in we're 2010. 2010. Yeah. Okay, 13 gotcha. 13 years. 13 years. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a big gap there. I'm curious what kind of well, what the road was. Well, um, everybody knows about the about the housing market crash in 2008-9. Um, we had a we had extended ourselves in the in the building market pretty thoroughly. We had, we were doing cabinet. Um, we were providing cabinets and trim for homes, and of course, we'd buy the product and get paid. And so we were extended pretty thoroughly on a, a lot of homes. And um, the market crashed, and housing the houses stopped selling almost in, instantly, and we. We were going broke. We definitely needed to do something else because it was just, I mean, he was doing house after house after house after house for years. And he was just, he was, um, he, like, we have friends um, that were the builders. And then Michael would go in and do all the finished carpentry and all the cabinets. And it was just going on and on. All, all of a sudden, it just stopped. I mean, it wasn't like a slowdown, really. It just stopped. And we we're just looking at each other like, okay, we've got four little kids. What do we do now? What do we do? So to fill in the gap, from 1990 to 2008, nine, was that just carpentry? Was that uh, finished work inside homes? Was was there a lot of variation in the jobs that you performed? Oh, we I I took a stint in there um, when years. there was a for six years, probably. something like that. Yeah, five six years. Um, there was a a stint in there where there was a market slowdown, and. I decided that we needed more insurance and all that stuff. And I was doing um, all the installs for one of the big box stores. And I had a contract with them, and they they hired me to come inside. And so I went in there. And not not really a regular 9 to 5 because, you know, it was a, a lot more variable job than sitting there with a the tie. So it wasn't too bad. He designed oh. kitchens. Like the, you'd go to well, Home Depot. He would go to Home Depot. You'd go to Home Depot and you'd say, "These are my. This is my house plans, and I need a kitchen." So he would, he would design them. He would go out and measure them and like t tell them what, like, what the best way the cabinets would work and what kind of things that they needed to do. And that's what he did. And he was really good at it. I I did a lot of outside sales with them, so it wasn't again not a sit down nine to five. Yeah, because you're out there going out to job job sites yeah. and measuring them. Now, were you doing the installs or not at that point? Okay, because there there was a they made me sign a conflict of interest form. Sure. Now, what made you leave? Uh, it was time. It so it was just kind of. I mean, market did it had a, had it because you had originally taken it probably because of the market slowdown. And that was what yeah. two thousand. When was that? The, uh, um, let's see, 96? 96, okay. And yeah. slowed down a little bit. You originally took it for that. Had the market kind of 
um, increased a little bit more uh, and busier? Not really. It was no. just you were done. I was done. Well, and he, um, our friend started uh, the granite business, and so we, he, went, yeah. he went to... I helped, I helped again, another business. I helped start a, a granite company with a friend of ours. Um, we, we developed uh, a bunch of techniques, and we did a lot of granite work and installs and, and helped him get his business going and paid me for that. And so it was just it was time to be done with that. Um, there was a there was a lot of it was it was it was it had just built up to the time it was time to be done with that. Um, you know, retail is kind of hard sometimes. You know, because they, you're dealing with people that right. can be rough. Right. Well, it, and in Home Depot, there's lots of managers, manager, 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 yeah. manager, and that's that's difficult too. So I. To give you a rough idea how that works, I was known as Satan at 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 work by, and it was it was quite tongue in cheek, um, because a lot of people will come into a store and and start pushing, imp, you know, the the staff around, and I have a very hard time with that. I don't tolerate that well, and you don't do that to you know the. 17-year-old checker on, on, on the front end. You just don't do that kind of thing. And so there was a customer that was notorious for pushing employees around. And I just made him stop. I told him that that's not acceptable. I, I helped him find the door. And, and then he came back into the store later. And they called me for a consult on, on some product. And I, I'm walking up, <clears throat> and from about 25, 30 feet away, he turns, looks at me, and points at me and says, that man is Satan. <laughs> and so I, I got called Satan by everybody at work laughing thoroughly because I wouldn't put up with his nonsense. So that was, that's the kind of example of the kind of thing that you deal with there in retail. That, sure. Right. Yeah, you didn't want to have to deal with. That makes sense. So let's go back to 2008. 2009, you guys said you were extended. I mean, you were. We, did you have to pay for these cabinets up front and then you were reimbursed? Is that kind of how it went? Uh-huh. Yeah. I see. So it was like you were like extended literally. like yeah. Literally. Because if the home didn't sell. Right. I didn't get paid. You didn't get paid. And, didn't, and then, not only didn't get paid, but you also I have, was on the hook for the product. Right. You'd already paid for the product. Right. right. And it, was, it was a little scary time right there. Yeah. It was really scary. Like I said, we have four little kids, and it's just yeah. like, well, what do we do now? Like, walk me through your feelings during that time. Well, imagine imagine getting a call from a title company that says, we need to close this house. We need to negotiate your, your um, bill. And um, they, they're offering me 10 and 15 cents on the dollar of my bill. Which doesn't even cover the cost. Right, it's of, not going to cover the cost of your materials even. Even Yeah, it doesn't even cover the cost of my gas. Is that because they were doing like a foreclosure on the house? Yeah. I see. But you had yeah. a lien, a mechanic's lien on right. there. Right. Yeah. They're foreclosing the property, and I'm losing my shirt. Did you have to accept those deals? Well, at, at some point. Or get nothing. Or get nothing. Yeah. You know, and of course, you, you go back and forth and negotiate. But the best I could do on many of them the best I could do was get the, the price of the materials out. So would you say that this was during your um, remodeling career, um, 
would you say this is the most stressful time you had? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, it without, was without very question. scary. Without was, question. I mean, I knew we would always be okay because, number one, our house was, like, we didn't owe very much on it because we, you know, we modeled it. So I knew we would have a place to live always. But it's just, like, it, the rest of it was just, it's just scary. But, you know, I, I, always, I always trusted him that he would... He would make it work somehow. He would get three jobs at McDonald's if he had to, to pay, you know, to take care of us. So I knew that he, I knew that he would be able to take care of us. And I have an extensive family that I knew that we weren't going to starve to death, <laughs> but it was scary. It was really, it was really, as we just like, use all our savings and, you know, just go through all of that stuff to where we just were, ugh, it was scary. Selling, was scary selling equipment. And to try to just make it eat you know, not scare our kids to death too. You know, we just, it was just like, we held this whole thing and we're just like happy with our kids. You know, it's going to be okay. You know, everything's good. Everything's fine. But it was scary. It was a scary time. Yeah. 2008. Um, this your oldest son is probably, uh, is he 18, 15? 16. 16. Yeah. 16. So they're old. Do you feel like they felt any of that stress? I'm sure they did. I'm sure if you ask them, they would say they did. Because it was, you know, 16, 14, 12, and 10. And probably Emily didn't feel a lot. But, I mean, I think that Christopher probably... So we had to do something else. You know, you just, you, we, I remember sitting down and looking at him, and I'm just like, we have got to figure something else out. because, And so our friend, Tom Genta, who, um, like, his family is the one that started Garbanzos in Middleton. And... They own the one in Eagle that you um, you were familiar with, and um, he said, "You know what? We should just open another. We could, I'll help you get started opening a Garbanzos in Meridian because there's not one there, and you know." And so, Michael and Tom um, went and found us a, pl- a place right there at Linder. You stick between Meridian and Linder, and we found this little place, and it was it was a shell. It had a dirt floor, and it was a shell. So Michael and Tom built the whole thing up. I mean, because they gave us – we signed a lease, and they gave us a certain amount of um, TI money that we could – and we and they did it themselves. And, um, like, all the – all the concrete we had we had a plumber come in and do the plumbing but like but they did all we, the we did the plumbing with the plumber right because he's a he was a contractor friend of ours that that you know he was in the same position we could pay him a little bit he could help us and help us so we did the plumbing everything drywall design same thing with the electrical everything we did it ourselves yeah. So talk to me about the decision. Was Were you just, you know, you're changing careers, you're changing industries, you're changing from, you know, blue collar more to retail pizza food industry without very little, well, I guess very None. little experience or no experience <laughs> at all. What went into that decision? Was it just doesn't matter, let's go, or was it a difficult one to make? It was really hard for me, honestly, because I was just like – we don't know what we're doing. We have no idea what we're doing. And, and Tom, having Tom help us, because, I mean, his family had been in it for 30 years at that point. So we felt like we had at least a good, I mean, it would have been more scary for us to just go out and just start it by ourselves with no idea. But Tom was a really, I mean, he was a great resource. He was a really good help in getting us started. And were you guys both 50-50 in or 
Meredith, were you leading the charge? Michael, were you leading the charge, or was it more of a team approach no, it to it? It was a team. We we sat down and we talked about our different options. You know, moving was one. You know, maybe to, to Alaska or moving somewhere else where the job market was better. But I really. I grew up around my cousins and my family, and it was really important for me to it, keep my kids stable, you know. And so it was a it was a fifty fifty decision, I think. You no. think? No. <laughs> um, I knew she'd never be happy if we left, and so that was a heavy a heavy decider on whether or not I would do anything that drastic. You know, we just thought, well, we can go broke slower in the pizza restaurant business, then we are going broke now. <laughs> that's, a, that's a funny way to say it. Uh, now, Michael, this is a big change from what you were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, was it hard for you? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Did it feel like an identity crisis a little bit? Um, I don't know about that. The It's a pretty steep learning curve. So I had been doing, you know, remodeling and stuff, for so long, and I've not—I've never put my name on the side of my trailer. I've never, you know, advertised. I've never done anything like that because I've never felt the need. I've always had plenty of work and stacked out as far as I wanted. And so, advertising, marketing, um, promoting the business was never in my mind. I figured you, you stick a sign in the ground, put out a good product, you make sure that you, you do your due diligence on the inside where you make sure you have a good product, you, you do it right, people will, people will come. That was not the case. <laughs> if you build it, they will come. That's what you thought? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, of course, because that's always been, you know, I've never had a problem different than that. I mean, that's never been an issue. I've always I've always been able to say, well, I'm available. I'll go it people call and I go to work. Um that doesn't work in the retail business in food. So it, 2010 you open. Yes. Yep. And it wasn't like marching huge army of people coming in. That's what you're trying to say. Oh. That's what we're definitely saying. It it's even better than that. Um, I'm standing there looking at myself saying, what am I doing wrong that people aren't coming here? Our product's good. You know, we, is good. we worked extensively with Tom, revamping menu and product and improving our, our improving the product. We, we spent a great deal of time, um, making sure we were putting out the best product around. We, we, you know, did a lot of comparison with our com- competitors. We did a lot of research, make sure that his was updated as mu- as much as ours. And we 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 spent a lot of time and and money making sure we were putting out a product that was really good. And well, you put out a good product, people are going to come and get it. Well, only to a certain extent. People forget about you in the food world. They don't, you know. There's so much noise out there that people get distracted. It's way too easy to get distracted, regardless of how good a product is. It's just noise. 
and there's so much of it out there that you get forgotten. Well, and, and Meridian was just like really starting to get to get bigger and bigger, and all these restaurants are popping up everywhere. So our competition, whereas in in Middleton, it Tom is the pizza place. It's it's basically your only real restaurant out there at that time, and. I mean, but in Meridian, it was a whole different story. And in fact, the differences are when we first opened, Tom's like, oh, you don't need to take credit cards. It's not, um, it, it, you know, deal. we don't use a lot of credit cards out in Middleton, but it's a whole different, it's a whole different demographic. And we're like, I think we need credit cards. So we went ahead and, and got the credit card machine and Tom got his credit card machine after we did, because in, in Middleton it was you know checks because we're all friends out here checks and and um, cash and uh, but we're in a way different demographic in Meridian. These people are are all tech savvy and credit cards. No one carries cash. No one carries cash and checks. I, no, it just it. So those kind of things we we just kind of had to figure out. We're like, wait a minute, no, we need a credit card machine because no one carries cash. So talk to me about the first day that you opened because, Mike, you you built the whole inside of Garbanzo's, the restaurant, and um, you guys hang up your shingle and you say we're open in Meridian. And <laughs> we we had, a, I would say, a reasonable turnout. Yeah, because we are friends, you know, and people that were curious around the, the neighborhood. But, you know, also, I have to go back and say, like, when we were building it up and we had a certain amount of money from the TI money, Michael... Like, we scoured for, like, used equipment, and, like, he did a great job of getting our equipment for the absolute lowest price, you know, the, our, our pizza ovens to go get them retail were, like, $16,000, and he got them for $4,000, and so stuff like that. Like, he really did a good job of, of sourcing all of our, our, um, our equipment and our, our, all of our stuff. Like, we went to auctions, and we just did – he did a really good job of keeping – those costs down but yeah when we first opened we had a really good showing the probably the first week our friends and you know all those family all of my hundreds of family came in but then it just it just kind of like just like didn't didn't expand it it didn't really collapse or fall off it just didn't grow like we needed what was your expectation because this is your first foray into food oh i had a Great deal higher expectation than, than, uh, than our results. Yeah, it. I don't. I think that we maybe were told it would be different than it really was, and with with the demographics differences, and and also, we open our our restaurant. Um, it wasn't two weeks after that we had a pizza hut open a mile away. We've had 35, um, 35, 36 food places open within three miles of us. Um, we, we, have, we have had eight or 10 pizza places within, within four miles. But we're really good. Our pizza's really good. Yeah. So, so we we're not on the front of on the. We don't have great exposure. We don't have great signage. That was a mistake too. Those were mistakes like that our, we made. Our location was probably a mistake. Yeah, the the cost is great, 
and and geographically it's great, but not having frontage and not having um, signage, the signage available, you get lost in the noise. So the fact that we are in those positions and still do a fairly brisk business says a lot for the product. And for our advertising. So I'm really curious how these things came about. I mean, you're telling, you're saying that you struggled and you were able to figure out what these problems were, but take me through how you figured that out. I mean, what steps led you to make those changes? Well, let's start with some of the classic mistakes. <laughs> yeah, our advertising. We tried like the hometown deals and stuff the like that. Values and, coupon um, thing. Groupon, big mistake. Sorry to say that. I don't know if that's if you can edit that. <laughs> why would that? Why would we care? <laughs> no, go ahead. Well, Groupon it. was a terrible mistake because. Um, you know, you you put in like what you want to, what you like the deal that you have, but they and then people from maybe Caldwell will will buy some of those those coupons, come in and use it, but they're never going to be our regular customers. They're they're just the people that want the the deal. I mean, I use Groupon, believe me, but I won't ever do it as a business again <laughs> so because because you lose. I mean. Not only do you have to discount your stuff, but it's never going to be your customer. It's never going to be somebody that comes back again and again. And we tried we tried all sorts of advertising and spent a straight ton of money on ineffective advertising. That was just it was I mean it just and it you know it's an education, right? You, you this is where we got our education is going through these things and wait a minute, that doesn't work. So we just keep and and so what we did was we made these postcards and we would we would send them out we would mail them out to our current customers well that's not really helpful either because they're already our current customers and so we went to the post office one time and they said well you know we have this program and it's called brand e new yeah it had been it had been available for 45 days and they said you know you guys should try this we think that you would you would benefit from this and it's called EDDM or Everyday Direct Mailer. And we we went and sat down with the postmaster and found out like what because it has to be a very specific size of um, of an a, of a uh, a mailer, yeah, yeah. yeah. And oh. so it has to be very specific. So we went and sat down with them. How many can we get per eight by ten page, and how many you know, and get them printed up? And so um, it changed everything. It changed. Literally, I can go back and show you on our on our records on our um, sales report. Yeah, on our sales report, the the week we started mailing those out, it made and so we we um, and so what you do is you you get your mailers and you sit. They have a a map, and so we found our business on the map and then like the um, mail routes that were within four miles of that. And so then we just would pick two or even one mail route and then you take your flyers to the post office and they put one in every mailbox. And so it was very direct that we, I mean, we were getting our actual, our actual people that were going to be our customers. And um, the first year we did, and so we, we, had to work on like which day was the best. We didn't want to come out on Wednesday because that's when a lot of advertisements come out. We didn't want to come out Friday because by the time you get home from work and you find it in your, your it's already too late. So Thursday we found out was our day that we would mail these. Uh, we we take them to the mail 
the post office on Wednesday and they would put them in the mail so they would get them on Thursday. And we could very, very specifically pick which mail routes we wanted. And I mean, that the first year we did it, our sales went up 100% each month, at least 100%. And it, it was really funny because we were looking back at our sales from like, because November is notoriously a slower month. And so after we started using the mailers and we, we, we were looking at our November sales and we compared it to the previous year and it was like 140% better than the previous November. And I looked at Michael, I'm like, Michael, were we sad? Were we sad that year, that November? And he goes, Meredith, I was suicidal. He goes, you don't understand the stress. And it's just, and, and to this day, we use every single week we do mailers. And it's been, that was what, in 2012? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. July of 2012, we started that. And we, we do not miss a week. We do not miss a week. And now we've added um, texting. Jordan's help us set up texting, which, because our market needs that. You know, our our demographic needs the, the text. And so we, we text every week. And it just, I mean, it's been exponential what that, what that direct marketing has done for our business. So that's an incredible story. It really <laughs> is awesome that you guys found that key out. What were some other roadblocks that you had to overcome that you remember? Right now, our biggest struggle is staffing. It's like finding people, people, and, and actually staffing is, it's, it's, it's a, a constant, perennial yeah, problem. It, it's it a constant with, with, you know, a pizza business with, and that's, that was, that's been, that's right. been hard, just getting good employees and retaining them. And, and you kind of have a tough balance because um, it's going to be entry level. Right. Um, and so you're either going to get someone young right. or someone older and they're less experienced um, or there's a reason why they're looking for an entry-level right. job if they're older uh, but, and also keeping them. If right. they're younger, eventually they're going to be gone. Right. And uh, so, yeah, I can understand that. Now, talk more about it. So the dealing with students is, is one, of the, one of the issues. They go off to college. They get married, et cetera. You spend a lot of time getting them trained. You get them, get them ready to go. And the minute, minute that they're worth the darn, they think, oh, now I can go get a job at a bigger company and make more money. And so it, it's a very competitive wage market, and it's expensive to train. Um, they, the rule of thumb in, in industry you're 90 days before you make before you're profitable in most industries. For employees. For it, before, yeah. as an employee, right. you're about 90 days before you're profitable in any form. And turnover. I mean, how's turnover? That, so your goal so, is to make turnover at least 93 days. That's yeah. just hoping <laughs> to keep that employee right. for 93 days. Right. Uh, we, the thing is, is that we have we have people. If if we get them and they are trained and do well. And 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 like it, we have had people for five years. Yeah, we have we have three right now that we've had for five years, and they're just they're fantastic. They're fantastic, and and like we really try to be very flexible with their schedule. Anything you know, anything they want, we try we try very hard to make it a pleasant and easy place to work because 
we just realized how valuable these these girls are so good. They're so good at what they, you know, at, but, you know, we got all three of them, all three of these girls, we were their first job. And they, you know, I just feel like we're doing our a community service, you know, where we are, um, we take these 16-year-olds and we teach them how to be good workers. And, you know, all of our kids have worked for us. All four of our kids have worked for us. And all four of them have come back to us at different times and said, you know, thank you for teaching us how to work. Because now that we're out in the workforce, we realize there's a lot of people that don't know how to work. And so I feel like we're doing community service. We bring these 16 years, 16 year olds in and we work with them and teach them. And by the time they leave us, they're really good employees, very good employees. And we're really, really happy. We, you know, we've had, yeah, of course, you always have your, your few that aren't going to work out. But um, we try, we, we try not to fire people. We try to work with them and help them and, and try to teach them how to be a, a good employee. And it's, it, and it's been fun. We've had some really, we've just people that we love so much and just, but then they, you know, graduate from college and want to be a teacher or want to be, you know, so, but we, we try really hard to make it easy for our employees and we try really hard to keep them. Yeah, staffing is just an incredible challenge in this market right now since COVID and different things. Um, talk to me about COVID. How did that change your business? I guess it's coming up on two years since the shutdown. Was that different for you? Was that a change? Actually, COVID was good for us. It was it was good for us. We, um, of course, had no, no dine-in, of course. It was all takeout and deliveries. But our customers were very... They were very supportive of us. They were, because, you know, lots of places closed completely down for a time, but our customers were, or they would come in and they're like, we're just so happy that you're still open and we want to support you. And it was, it was good for us. It, I mean, our customers were very good to us, very loyal, very, they supported us well. Did that change? Were you, you were dying in prior? Mm-hmm. Did we, that change the amount or the ratio of dine-in for the future? The our, We have never been a large dine-in um, out, outlet. It's just never never been a big deal in our in our market. Like percentage-wise, what's percentage? What would, what would you say before and after? 10%, it would, prior to COVID was just under 10% of our business was dine-in. And after COVID... We are now in the one percent. Yeah, we don't have a lot, which is um, which is fine. I mean that 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 is fine. Like we, there's been a lot of um, tournaments at the at Settlers Park, and they'll come over and dine in. Right. But like regular dine-ins is, and most of our stuff goes out in a box, which is fine. And we had um, we had a buffet for you know before COVID and a salad bar, and then we had to shut all that down during COVID, and. It's and like this, right? The right, right now, we don't have a salad bar because we cannot because of um, like getting regular product has been really hard, and like lettuce and those kind of things have been difficult to to get regularly. So we've had to shut down the salad bar because it just it's not economically feasible for us to do that anymore. So did you guys always offer delivery? Yes, and and that Day was. One. From day one was delivery, and so and that was always in house, correct? That was never right uh, through an, a, a separate service. No. Have you changed 
is that continued to be the way it is from in-house delivery or have you changed in-house to a different delivery? Yeah. Okay. Um, have you been approached by these, you know, I guess Uber Eats or DoorDash or the different Three or four times a week. Yeah. And, and so talk to me, I'm, I'm a novice in that area. What are your thoughts on where the future of restaurant or, or, or food delivery is going? I'm, I'm certain that it's going to build more and more with the, with the third-party delivery systems. I, I dislike it. Um, I'll give you a, a, an example of why. Um, we try and offer a higher level of service than, than someone that, is, that has no interest in our business. It's just their delivery. Um, when, when we go to the house and drop off a pizza, we want to make sure it's the right pizza and want to make sure it's the right house. We, we try and do a little bit more, make sure that we're doing it right. Um, I had a customer not long ago expect me to just drop it at the door and, and uh, Amazon it, you know, hit the door, knock, leave, and leave it on the doorstep. And I didn't, and I wouldn't. And, and he was like, why wouldn't you just do that? Because we offer a higher level of service than a DoorDash, Uber, you know, Slice, whoever it is, delivering a pizza. They'll, they'll hit the door. If nobody answers, they throw it on the, on, the, on the doorstep and leave for any cat to get into. We, we just, I just don't believe in that. And... And I have, I have issues on the health service side, considering that's exactly what they're doing. You know, that that's leaving my hands into an unknown. And what happens when that that food is tampered with, either by a, you know, the local stray dog or some kid spit in their on their pizza, and I get blamed for it. I just I just don't think it's a good idea. On top of that, people don't realize the cost that, that many of those services impose on the small business. They want 20% of my business to deliver my food. On top of that, you're paying a service fee as a customer, so they're taking money from the, from the businesses, from the small business. They're taking profit margin off of them, and we don't work on a high margin. It's a very slim margin. They take profit off straight off the top from the from the small business, then turn around, charge the customer an exorbitant fee and a gratuity. Wait a minute. There's no real service involved there. You're getting a lesser service, you're paying more, and you're taking and that third party company is taking the food off the table of the small business. I think it's a bad thing. Well, and, you know, it, it would be different, like, for, it's different for, like, Jack in the Box and places that don't deliver. That That's perfectly, I mean, that's fine. That's fine. You know, our, our daughter and son-in-law use Grubhub a lot. And for, like... Um, ice cream and you know stuff that that don't deliver and that's fair but if they already have a delivery system in in place or if they're because we deliver within four miles right so if you're 10 miles away then 
for sure have Grubhub come and get your pizza and, and bring it to you. But if we're already offering delivery at a, and and it's and it's less expensive, I I don't understand. Has there ever been a, another moment? I know you guys said there was a rocky start until you got things figured out. Has there ever been another moment that had been difficult to the point where you thought, "Oh gosh, this may be difficult to continue?" Because yes. I, okay, <laughs> all right, um, yeah, a couple of the tough ones. The property that we're in, we're under a lease, and was was sold from the primary investors to another party. And to begin with, that party wanted us out. Um, and was not it was not incredibly generous in his attempts to find to get us out. And I thought that our business was over. I thought that that was no <clears throat> Now, why? Because, I mean, they kind of controlled the entrance. Is that, I mean, why do you think, why, why would they have so much control over you? Because now they own the lease. They, yeah, they own the lease, and they didn't want us to be there anymore. So they could kind of say, not renew the contract? Right, not renew the lease. Well, and and that's the thing, is that they, at the end of our lease, at the very end of our lease, the very back page, right before we sign it, it says that we we have five three-year options to renew. And I don't think that they saw that. I thought that th I think that they saw, as of you know April, our lease is up, and um, and they weren't going to renew it for us at that point. And we're like, and then they came back this they came back the second of oh yeah, you guys have these lease renewals, and so, so that so that put us in a better footing. Then they proceeded to completely remodel and destroy the building that we were in, shutting us off. Basically, completely shutting us off from access. We, you couldn't. There was, there were many days, much time that you could not get to our store, and so we were relying entirely on delivery at that point. Fast forward one more time, and they decided to do the Ustick Road improvements really difficult and they shut down Eustick Road and we had no access to our pro property at times except driving through the subdivision again falling back to no no dine-in virtually no takeout and relying entirely on delivery to to make to stay in business so there's there has been several of those occasions and i thought for sure we were done when when uh the property got sold and they wanted us out so how'd you um i mean that's gonna eventually end then right five three years that's 15 years yeah but it's been sold again oh, and these okay. people are they're happy we're there Okay. Yeah, they're fine jackson's yeah they're they're they have no problem with us being there so that that issue is kind of Kind of resolved. Kind yeah. Of settled itself. Yeah. At this point, it's fairly resolved. Yeah. They're fine. And our customers are extremely loyal. We have some, I mean, we have customers that, like, their phone number comes up and we every Friday, and we already know what pizza they want before they, I mean, they're just, we have some really, really great customers. I had, I had a customer come in and 
we were talking and he said, well, we just did our taxes. And last year, we only missed two weeks out of 52. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of good pizza. Yeah. A lot of good pizza. So you have one location? Yep. Yes. And then have you, I'm sure the thought has come up, multiple locations. What's the plan there? You're shaking your head no. No. You've had more. You've had another location, though. Yeah, we did. We did for like 18 months. We had the Five Mile and um, Lake Hazel store, but it was just so far away. And at that time, honestly, like it's like the building stuff is coming back up. And Michael, that's his love. That's his love. So he has gone more to doing the remodeling again and, and that kind of stuff. And I've taken over more of the day-to-day business at, at Garbanzo's. And it's like, I just, it was just so far away and just too much. So, yeah. So you're happy with that location and no no real plans moving forward at this point? Well, actually, we just moved to Parma and it's just like, they, I, I don't know. We're just, I, I we, we figured it out, right? We figured out how to make a successful business. And so, it, so going through all the growing pains wouldn't be a, an issue at that point but parm is a whole different demographic out there again so i i don't know i'm in no real hurry to do it but if you know some you know i wouldn't be totally opposed to it because like i said we've kind of we've kind of figured out we've toyed with it yeah and we've kind of figured out like all the the hard things yeah but you probably wouldn't get a credit card machine out there for example (laughs) yes we would get a credit card (laughs) machine uh Mary, you keep trying to get me to move to Parma. I'm telling you, I don't think I'm coming unless there's a garbanzos out there. Okay, so if I put one out there, you whoa, will whoa, move whoa, out whoa. there? Is that what we're saying here? <laughs> if, we, if we build it, you will come. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's just I'm just saying it's, it's a one requirement at least. Okay, yeah, okay. Not the only requirement. Well, then that gives us more of a, a push to get that garbanzos pizza in Parma. So what are your plans with garbanzos do you want your kids to come in and take it over have they expressed any interest in that or is it just sort of run it until you're unhappy you know all of our kids have well at least my oldest son he's like i want to have garbanzos i want to i want to buy it from you and we said that's fine but you bring us your degree from school first you know he we were just like you have to graduate from college first but then he graduated with his accounting degree and is has a great accounting job and no interest in garbanzos anymore and and that's you know what that's totally fine it's a hard business it's that all of my kids are successfully employed in their degrees from college they're all you know happy doing what they're doing and so but we have a manager right now that's fantastic and and having her has made the move to parma possible because we don't have to be there every single day anymore and 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 she does a fantastic job of taking care of the day-to-day stuff at garbanzo so and so we're able to work on our project out in parma but we you know, I mean, we're still doing it, and it, it but it, it provides us a, a, a good living, and having our managers made it possible that we can kind of do other things. So, and she eventually would like to buy it at some point. We'll see how that goes down the line. So, um, if you went to Parma, would you do both, or do you think no. you'd sell? Okay. No, I would not do both. If we if we open the one in Parma, we for sure would sell the one in Meridian. Got it's it. just it's really it's it, it's all consuming to have two. Right, it's a lot of time. Sure, there in the in the pizza restaurant business, this is something that I found out after time. You can't have two. 
You can have one, you can have three or more. Because the cost of, of you know, having management on, and staff to run a second one without you there consumes all your profit. So, so it's just not really feasible to have two. One you can make a living off of, or you have to have three to make enough money Cover the managers cover the cost, at the three. <laughs> to cover the costs. And so so if you're going to have a chain, the chain's got to be at least three. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, now, I've benefited from Garbanzo's Pizza extensively. I've had a lot of the consumed a lot of the pizza. But not only that, I think it's really notable and admirable. You talked about how you feel like you're doing a good job with, um, you know, you're preparing employees for the future. And one of your former employees is now one of my employees. Mm-hmm. And he's been working for me. For, and I'm grateful. You know, he does a great job. And it's appreciative. And not only, you know, it's really you've employed a lot of our family. Right. You know, a lot, all your children. Um, and All my nieces four, and nephews. That's right. You've got four. <laughs> we're on the fifth nephew. Yes. That's right. Fourth yes. nephew or niece being employed there. Mm-hmm. And I know my children well, have said, I can't wait right. till I can work. That's not right. With nieces and nephews, we're working on seven. Seven. Who? That's a bunch. Because we have Hayden. Oh, okay, Atkinson yeah, sure. And uh-huh. Haley yeah. Atkinson, so. That's right. I, yeah. that's, I think that's who was there when I got the beats on Saturday. Yeah. 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 We're we're well over that. Yeah. In family. I mean, you think about uh, also Stephanie's children, too. Yeah. Yep. Stephanie's we got Noah, yeah. and we cousins. have yeah, a bunch Jack of cousins Jack and as well. Sam, all three of them worked for me. Yeah. yeah. Brian's kids, too. Yeah. So employed a lot of, a lot of, a lot of people and trained them, like you said. Yeah. Sending out good employees into the world. That's right. <laughs> I think it's also interesting. You guys both talked about how you went to college and you both have some regret that you didn't complete it. Um, a lot of time we ask this question is uh, how important do you feel like college education is now? I mean, all of your children um, have gone to college and I think all of them have All of them have graduated. All of them graduated. So clearly it was important for you to encourage them um, to get a college degree. If you were to go back now, it sounds like you would. How important do you think a college degree is now? I think um, it's important. <laughs> it, it depends on how you're defining important. Important for success? No. Um, important as a general statement? Absolutely. You, you know, we've done, we've done a lot of things, had a lot of success, a lot of failures, and I don't know that a college degree would have changed either of those things. But there's the big caveat. It's absolutely important. Unless... Unless someone has a love for a trade. I think that, that you know, somebody getting a degree just for a degree um, in underwater basket weaving or whatever is, is just a waste of money. If you have a desire to go in one way or another, accounting, engineering, nursing, you know. Teaching. Teaching, you know. It's all of our kids' degrees. Yeah. Get the degree if you want to go that way. If you are not desirous of some kind of, of career in that degree, go to trade school. Uh, I know too many guys making more money than I am right now in the HVAC world. I know, I know guys making way more money than me that are plumbers. And they went to trade school. Um, it, if you have a desire for a, a career 
and it requires a degree, get the degree. But if you're going there just for a piece of paper, it's an awful expensive piece of paper that's not going to pay you back. Right. A degree is well, a tool, just right. like just like a hammer or a skill saw. And if you buy a skill saw and it doesn't do you any good, it's worthless. Time and money, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just the money of it, but right. it's also four yeah. years you're not producing and not making right. money right. at that point. You're falling behind in the in the other parts of, of life. Yeah, right. all of our kids have, you know, degrees that they can immediately go out and get jobs. Yeah. All of them. You know, and, and I, you know, not to tell tales on people, but there was an, a young lady that, that wanted to go to one of the most expensive schools in the Northwest, and she said... And I want to be a kindergarten teacher at 28000 bucks a year. And Just until she had kids. And then she and didn't then want she to wanted... be a teacher anymore. And we, we had to you know, sit down with her and be like, okay, so this school is $50,000 a year. So you go for four years. You have $200,000 in student debt. I said, and then you're going to go to work as a part-time kindergarten teacher until you have kids? I said, this makes no economic sense. So... She changed her mind and went to a school where she had a scholarship and didn't have to pay tuition and it's yeah. just been. Is that your daughter? Yeah. Not to name names. Not to name names, but she changed her mind and she graduated debt free. All of our kids graduated from college debt free. Not one student loan. I think I think that that the universities have figured out how to put our kids into indentured servitude for the rest of the exist of their existence. Yeah, with the amount of rising cost for sure of, of education, it can be. You got. I, I think that's always the important part that Brandon and I talk about is, you know, you look at the return on investment of that. That's right. the important part. Right. Yeah, it, it's everything in life is economic. Everything has an economic factor, and if you can't see it, find somebody that can. <laughs> sure. Now, what advice would you give to? Um, you know, you've gone through some ups and downs. What advice, what would you have done differently? First thing I would have done, um, I would have been much more proactive in knowing, um, setting up bookkeeping systems. Uh, that would have been, before, when you open a business, the first thing you should do before you get your business license is have your bookkeeping and... and payroll. Payroll. And all, all of, of the, that stuff. All of the, all of your business infrastructure figured out before you say I'm building a widget. That's the first thing. Take care, take, you know, because the tax man is unforgiving. The, <laughs> Jordan was a tax man. <laughs> yeah, the tax man is unforgiving. The, the payroll has to be paid. Get those things taken care of first. Figure those programs out before you start. That's, that's an easy one. Thanks for listening to the Founders Podcast. Be sure to follow the host on Twitter. Search at Jord B. Hansen and at Brandon Minot to discuss more. Also, be sure to visit thefounderspod.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic bonus content.